0: Rod said when he asked me to preach this Sunday that the passage he gave me was longer than all of the others he did in the thing so uh, it's not going to be as, as tight or as as Rod's sermon. He's got to try and cover the whole passage. And, okay. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. Consequently the, the communion service will be held and in First Corinthians we read therefore Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It talks about an unworthy manner. It talks about self-examination of discernment of where you are before God. It talks about self-judgment and God's judgment and those who fail failed to do so. Now, these are serious words, but what do they entail? In the immediate context of First Corinthians, it was congregational unrest, divisions, Clicks, selfishness, greed. Uh, Don Fleming, in his uh, Bridgeway Bible commentary, commentary, says, "Nobody should join in this act of communion thoughtlessly. All should examine themselves to make sure their conduct and attitude are in keeping with the supper's meaning. If they join in thoughtlessly, as if it were just an ordinary meal, they bring God's judgment upon themselves." Indeed, we read that some in the church have, because of their wrong behaviour, suffered such judgment in sickness and death. Christians should examine themselves honestly to see what they're really like. And that brings us directly to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus said to the, the crowd that gathered around him, unless your righteousness exceeds... that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And for us to understand this, we need to know a little bit of history. The scribes were the arbiters of what scripture required. And the Pharisees were known for their scrupulous attention to living righteously. How can your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus deepened the concept of righteousness. And Rod dealt with this. We read, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. This is the words of Jesus. And he, he moves from a mere physical, observable act to include motives and attitudes. And he culminates in these words, in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is an incredible standard to aim for, an incredible goal to seek to achieve, that our righteousness may exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. That we may be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And as the uh, sermon or the talk continues, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus takes it a step further. There were three cardinal acts of piety amongst the Jews. Three cardinal acts that demonstrated that they were truly the people of God and that they were demonstrating it by their lives. One was giving to the needy. This was required in the law. One was prayer. And the third was fasting. And along with these three cardinal acts of piety was the presumed, presumed evidence of God's blessing. That is wealth. That's what chapter 6 starts off. The three cardinal acts of Jewish piety, almsgiving, prayer, fasting, and the observable presumed evidence of God's favour, they were rolling in cash. But as Jesus speaks of these things, as Jesus speaks of these acts of piety, And the presumed evidence of God's blessing, he says, these have been corrupted. The good has become bad. The good has been white-handed. I had to explain this to um, Isaac. He didn't know what something being white-handed was. I had to explain to him that the termites have eaten out the the centre of everything. It looked good, but it wasn't. Their acts of piety, their evidence of God's grace, had been white entered. Jesus put it another way elsewhere. He said, your, your tombs are whitewashed sepulchres. They look nice on the outside, but inside are dead men's bones. The good have become evil. In the history of Israel, going right back to Moses, we can see time and time again of moral and religious failure. And this culminates in the exile to Babylon. After the return from Babylon, Ezra and Nehemiah encouraged the people of God to live as the people of God, and there is is this wonderful sense of religious fervour and faithfulness and a, a return to God's word. But not long after that, we read in the prophet Malachi, A son honours his father, and his servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favour? says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favour of God, that he might be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favour to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would stretch, who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. There's this is history of repeated failure, of moving from a religious fervour and faithfulness to hypocrisy and short-changing God. And it continues. A hundred years or more after Malachi, Alexander the Great comes marching through the known world. And on his journey through to India, he just goes straight through the Middle East. The Jewish people, after Alexander, were fighting against a a Greek occupation, an Hellenization, a, a making Greek all the world. Ever since Alexander the Great came into possession of all the known world. But the Jewish and Greek cultures were colliding, not coalescing, there was a clash of faith, there was a clash of what was right, what was acceptable, what God would suppose and For the older and wiser Jewish perspective, this collision was devastating to their Jewish identity, and there emerged a sharp division in the nation of Israel there were some Jews who for the sake of ease and wealth and getting along with the Greeks fell on step but there were others who opposed this hellenization and the anti-hellenization those who were opposed to it became known as the hasideim the pious ones and it is from them that the pharisees originated As they emphasise loyalty to God's law and to God's covenant, as they emphasise faithfulness to God. Antiochus the fourth, a Greek king, a descendant of one of Alexander's generals, prohibited Jewish religion. He tried to destroy the Scriptures. He didn't allow the Sabbath and festivals to be observed. Food laws were abolished. Circumcision could not be practised. There's even record of people trying to uncircumcise themselves. Don't ask me how, but that's... And the lowest blow came when Antiochus erected an altar in the temple and sacrificed pigs on it. A Jewish revolt erupted. And out of this context, the scribes taught the scriptures the pharisees lived the law and yet jesus says unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees but the scribes they were the arbiters of what scripture said what scriptures meant what scriptures required and the Pharisees were renowned for their religious attention to, the, to living righteously. It's incredible when you think about Jesus' words in this historical context. And there are a couple of books written between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're not scripture, but they give us some sort of indication of what was the thinking of, of the Jewish people. And one of them goes like this. Prayer with fasting is good, but better than both is almsgiving with righteousness. A little with righteousness is better than wealth with wrongdoing. It's better to give alms than to lay up gold. For almsgiving saves from death and purges away every evil. Those who give alms will enjoy a full life. That's the attitude that was floating around in the the community, thinking about the importance of giving alms, of fasting and of prayer. And then we read the words in Matthew chapter 6, and we see just how great Jesus' indictment is. That these acts of Jewish piety and the presumed evidence of God's favour are put under inspection and they fail and we have to ask why why do these things that are good that are praised that are commanded in scripture that are evidence of God's of faithfulness to God why do they fail why does that what which is good and commended by all fail well as you read Jesus's words the answer is quite simple Simply put, their focus is not on God, but men. What people will say, public opinion. You know, money was given, but a great display was made about it. Prayers were made, but they were made in public so people could hear. Fasting was undertaken, but it was so that everybody could see that you were serious And you were wealthy and you boasted in your wealth. And Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have received, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It is that they might be praised by others, and they have received their reward. Briefly then, as we look at the whole of Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 24, and this is a broad sweep. Your giving is to be private. No plaques or media announcements. Uh, Bernard's father used to be the minister of St. Stephen's in Rockhampton, and he used to jump up and down and get excited. and, and, and Well, he did that anyway. But he would talk about the trumpets he saw in church. Everywhere he looked, there were plaques, plaques for this and plaques for that and plaques for something else. All honouring people. But Jesus says your giving is to be private. No plaques, no media announcements. Your generosity is an act of Christian love. A gracious act reflecting and responding to God's grace. Not to public opinion. In a church across the river from St Stephen's John Knox... Uh, There was a gentleman who organised the building of the church and he was known as Mr Rockhampton and his theme song was I Did It My Way. And, And that was even played and talked about at his funeral. But our giving to the poor is to be private and act before God himself. That only God himself knows that God can reward us. Similarly, in the long section of our prayer, our prayer is to be Godward, focusing on God, not on those you want to hear you, not a performance for people to commend. So in the times of prayer, you are not to make a big show of yourself, you're not to go on and on and on as the Gentiles did, but rather... It is to be private, focused, Godward. There's a requirement for simplicity in prayer. And again, with fasting. Your fasting is between you and God. You don't do it because you want people to see how serious you are. You do it because you are serious before God. And that which is presumed evidence of God's favour is not to be the focus in life. The ten are taken from the Old Testament promises that God will bless the faithful. So therefore, if you are blessed with wealth, you must be faithful. It's an obvious theory. But it's not all the truth. That which is the presumed evidence of God's favour is not to be the focus in life. The focus in life is to be God. We are to be Godward. Godward in terms of our giving, in terms of our prayer, in terms of our fasting, in terms of our attitude to our possessions. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. So as we hear Jesus' strong indictment of the scribes and Pharisees, as he calls us to a righteousness that exceeds them, a righteousness that is real and is based in our relationship with God, as we prepare for communion, we are urged to examine ourselves. It's very easy for us to be distracted turning the good into evil, turning piety into pride, to boast about who we are, what we have done, what we know, and turn that which is good into evil. And we can be distracted turning the good into evil, focusing on the gift rather than the giver, 1 Corinthians warns us of an unworthy manner, a need for self-examination, a need for discernment, the possibility of judgment. These are very serious words. The scribes and the Pharisees to whom Jesus spoke had generally failed and they had turned good into evil. They turn piety into pride, turning good into evil, focusing on the gift rather than the giver. So in this coming week, spend the time examining yourself, looking at who you are before God, asking yourself, are we in any way turning piety into pride, turning the good into evil, focusing on the gift rather than the giver? Let us judge ourselves truly. And so as we come to the Lord's table, let us come in a worthy manner. Let us pray. O God, we ask that your word might be written deep in our hearts, that we might begin to understand that it's not a matter of show, but of reality. It's not a matter of performance, but of faith. Help us to examine ourselves, to weigh up our motives and our attitudes, that we might stand before you, clothed not in a righteousness that is applauded by men, but a righteousness that has been given to us in Jesus' name. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.